This podcast episode is brought to you by Paleo Valley's Organic Extra Virgin Olive Oil. Now, we all know that many olive oils are cut with seed oils or that they are rancid, and so it's not always easiest to find a quality and properly sourced olive oil. Yes, in case you didn't know, many store bought olive oils are diluted or blended, compromising both taste and quality, and may even cause rancidity. I'm really glad that Paleo Valley's extra virgin olive oil remains pure and unadulterated, sourced from a single organic valley in Greece. Paleo Valley ensures freshness and nutrient content by packaging their olive oil in dark glass bottles. At a certain point, I stopped using extra virgin olive oil, but once our practice started working with people with chronic inflammatory response syndrome or SIRS, we started recommending it for the reduction of TGF beta 1. It is an immune system marker that shows inflammation both for COVID 19, SIRS, and actually many other illnesses. So if your TGF beta 1 is high, you may want to try incorporating a little bit of extra virgin olive oil. Make sure to check it out. It comes in a two pack package. And remember, All Paleo Valley products are guaranteed with a money back guarantee. Go to paleovalley.com slash nwj to get 15% off your order. Thanks for supporting companies that support this podcast. Hey guys, it's Judy from Nutrition with Judy. Thanks for joining me today. I hope you guys are having a good week. My name is Judy Cho, and I am a nutritional therapy practitioner. I work with clients to get to root cause healing, and oftentimes that is gut health with a meat based elimination diet. Today, I had the pleasure of interviewing Dr. Julia Rucklidge. Dr. Rucklidge is the director of mental health and nutrition research group at University of Canterbury in New Zealand. Her research with Dr. Bonnie Kaplan focuses on mental health and nutrition. Julia Rucklidge and Bonnie Kaplan have a book out called The Better Brain, where they talk about nutrition and how to support mental health and supporting anxiety, ADHD, and depression with actual, real, wholesome food. The reality is that one in five Americans suffer from mental illness, and this is just a common imbalance we are seeing. And maybe medication is not just the answer, maybe it's not the best answer. So let's get into this discussion where we talk about this fascinating area that is very personal to me. Hi, Dr. Julia Rucklidge.、Um, thank you so much for joining me today. I am so excited to have my audience kind of listen to your ideas about mental health and how food is so powerful with healing.、Um, so, if you could just kind of introduce yourself to the people listening and watching. Sure. So, I'm a professor of clinical psychology at the University of Canterbury. In Christchurch, New Zealand. And、um, you can already probably tell that I don't sound New Zealander. I'm originally Canadian and I did my undergraduate in neurobiology at McGill. And then I did my master's and PhD at the University of Calgary in、uh, southern Alberta, Canada. So、uh, I'm trained as a psychologist, which you might kind of at first go, why am I here to talk about nutrition? And I think it's more my scientist, scientist side that ended up delving into it rather than as the psychologist side. But essentially, when I was doing my PhD with Bonnie Kaplan, who I co wrote The Better Brain with, she was approached by some families in southern Alberta, Canada, who were treating themselves with nutrients in a capsule form, minerals and vitamins in a capsule form. And they claimed that you could. Completely eliminate some symptoms associated with serious psychiatric problems like bipolar disorder, psychosis, et cetera. So, you,、uh, initially, you can imagine that somebody like Bonnie, who was a professor of pediatrics at the time, was skeptical of this idea.、Uh, but what's wonderful about Bonnie and what I try to Uh, also, uh, provide for my students is that you have to be curious. As scientists, we must be curious about new ideas, even if they contravene the current way of thinking, which nutrition, as being relevant to the brain, was certainly a challenging concept in the late 1990s. So, and my training in psychology taught me that nutrition was completely irrelevant to brain health and, in fact, could be. 
in some cases they thought that it could be potentially detrimental. So you, but if you look at the data and if we're honest about the data, and I think now by 2021, we're, I think we've, we're all on board or most people are on board. I can say all of us are on board, but I think most of us are starting to recognize that those treatments that were so exciting in the 1980s and the 1990s, the medications that were coming online for people who were struggling with serious mental health issues, they helped some people. Right. Some people had remarkable recoveries, but too many people have not gotten well with those medications. And the data are very clear about that now. And not only were people not getting to a place of wellness, but the long-term effects are, are uncovering themselves and they are certainly concerning in some cases, as well as the ability to come off of those drugs. So our, we're in a place now in 2021, where we're more open to the idea of looking at alternatives, not to replace necessarily, but so that we have more tools in our toolbox. Why rely just on medications and or psychotherapy if you can afford it? If there are other ways that we can empower ourselves to change our food environment in order to achieve better mental health. So, sorry, long answer. Don't even know if I answered it. No, that's <laughs> who I am and why I do what I do, which is that I decided to be curious, be the critic and conscience of society, and just find out, do these nutrients actually confer a positive health benefit? If they do, then that's something that you'd think everybody would want to know about, um, particularly governments and you know, our public health care systems. So that's kind of why I went down it incredibly naively. And I, I discovered that there's an awful lot of opposition to uh, propagating this idea that you should care about the nutrients in your food. Um, so unfortunately, that's been one of the challenges of doing this work. Right. I, I, I can imagine. Um, in terms of the book, so do you kind of lay out you know, what nutrients you may need to support the brain? Like what, what, what kind of is covered in this book that you're talking yeah. about? Yeah. So we, we came from the, per, we came from a, the perspective of studying the micronutrients, the vitamins and minerals in a pill form, comparing it to placebo, as well as doing other experimental designs. But I've done, we've done placebo control trials, which is where that's kind of the viewed as the gold standard. They're not my favorite trial because there's a lot of controls and they don't necessarily always translate to the real world, but they are, they are useful part of the big picture that showed that people who were taking the nutrients showed greater change in benefit for their mental health symptoms that we were treating relative to placebo. So that's a pretty powerful finding. But really when you then kind of go, okay, so with these vitamins and minerals, which we gave in quite high doses, like that is, I mean, not, not a dose that we call a mega dose, but just higher than what we're kind of used to in a supermarket type of pill. But actually aligned, if you were to eat a lot of um, real whole foods that are really nutrient dense, you may well, if you really focused on it, you might be able to get close to that. Although I think it would be kind of still kind of hard because there are probably some people who need more nutrients than others just because of maybe genetic differences and, and other things that are going on for them. So, so you take those, those, that day, those, these studies, and we could just say, well, every, we should just supplement everyone. But what we've done instead is we've kind of, kind of stepped back and said, hold on, why is it that these nutrients have conferred such a good health benefit? Surely people are getting these nutrients from their food. And so then when you start to look at population data, big studies on looking at people's diets, which you sadly realize is that half of the calories people are eating are coming from ultra processed junk. Right. You know, those, and I'm sure you're familiar with those, Judy, and your, maybe your listeners, which is the stuff that I wouldn't even call food. It's not nourishing to your brain. And it's, we've, and what we've been able to show and others, I mean, you can just look it up. They're nutrient depleted. That is, they're very low in vitamins and minerals. And so you then kind of go and look at this startling data that our populations are not eating well. You then start to look at the correlation between eating these foods and mental health and, and 
what's quite, again, quite startling when you look at that is that people who are eating these foods pretty much as their main type of uh, daily diet, and these are the foods, you know, the ones with the packages that they're, they've got the numbers all over them. They're, they're full of, um, you know, high fructose corn syrup and they've got preservatives and colors and flavors and emulsifiers and all these things that our, our body, um, our bodies don't, well, first of all, they, they don't need many of those things in the quantities that we're consuming, but they're also depleted in these vitamins and minerals. So the first thing that our data suggests is that you really need to reduce your intake of those foods and eat foods that are going to be micronutrient rich because these micronutrients, what we actually discuss in the book, it's not new, but it hasn't been put together this way, is that micronutrients are absolutely essential for brain metabolism. You need them for your brain to operate. So for making neurotransmitters, you need them, micronutrients, as cofactors along the way to help the enzymes convert one chemical to another to another and eventually make serotonin or dopamine. We need them for energy production. We need them to help us regulate our, our DNA. They're, they're essential for everything that's happening in your body. So you need to sort of source where can we find these vitamins and minerals in a much denser form. And that's where you then look to the research. Sorry, long, long answer. It's, yeah, it's hard for me to say anything in a short way. Um, is that you look at the Mediterranean-style diet, and that's the one where there's been the most research. And that's a diet that has got – it's rich in foods across the board. You've got some meat. You've got the eggs. You've got the fish. You've got the fruit and vegetables. You've got the nuts, seeds, grains. And that when people eat a diet that's more consistent with a, that style diet, then you find that their mental health is also seems to be better. And then there's control trials that have shown where if you sh- you help people shift from that mostly ultra-processed stuff to a more real whole food diet, their mental health improves. So that's why I would align with the first principle of our research says, for whatever reason, some people aren't getting their nutrients out of their food. We need to, you need to be, first of all, eating foods that are nutrient dense. It doesn't work for everyone, and I'm happy to go into that, but that's the first principle. Eat real food. Do you think that somebody that were to eat most of the nutrient dense foods and then were to still eat some of the processed foods uh, would still have the benefits of the mental health, or is it just they also need to remove the processed foods because of the toxins yeah. that then debilitate mental health? <laughs> Hey guys, just to let you know, my Carnivore Cure book is back in stock. For nine months, it was out of print and used prices were up to $300. Make sure to get your copy today that has over 200 colored tables and graphics and over 400 pages of meaty goodness. We have a limited supply, so get your copy today on Amazon.com. And if you can leave a review, I'd be super grateful. Yeah, you need to... Um... I mean, one doesn't cancel out the other. So, you know, you can't get a, you know, because you've eaten some healthy food that that sort of gives you the, you know, that, that, that gives you a free ride to eat a whole bunch of foods that aren't going to be so good for your brain. So the research is pretty clear that it's better to, it's best to reduce. You don't have to eliminate. If you are eating a mostly real whole food diet, and an occasional treat, absolutely, and enjoy it, you know, an ice cream or, you know, whatever it is that you fancy. But when you look at the data that says that 50% of people's calories are coming from those foods, right. that's when we need to be concerned about that. So occasional treat, not, I, I don't see that, that as an issue. And I don't think, I think the data are pretty clear that a, a, a small amount of that is okay. But that um, if that's your main focus of your food, then you re- that's where you really need to be reducing your intake massively of those right. foods. Right. And I think that is a big reason why so many people are sick, because that is the bulk of what we eat is processed food, packaged food. It's easy. It's convenient. Yeah. yeah. 
in this now culture. Um, you know, in general, it seems like mental health depression has just really um, escalated more now than ever. Do you think it's yeah. we are more aware of it or that it's really just increasing? Yeah, it's hard to know absolutely for certain because there's always there's all the mental health campaigns to get people to go and present to their doctor and say that they're struggling with a mental health issue. So there are those other forces that, that are out there. We do seem to have more mental health professionals out there. So they've, they are more likely than to be diagnosing these challenges. But we, it's hard to not ignore the role that the massive change in the food environment over the last 100 years may have played a role in also increasing, not necessarily our psychiatric disorders per se, but what I think happens, and again, it's supported by research that we've done um, both here and overseas, is that if you eat these mostly these really low, low den nutrient dense foods, you're not giving the brain and the body the fuel it needs to operate. So it's like running your car on empty constantly. And I wonder whether or not what's, what happens is that the reduction, massive reduction in the nutrient intake is making us less resilient to things that are happening to us. So in case in point, coronavirus, not necessarily getting sick, but just the fear of getting sick and all of the stressors associated with the lockdowns. And all the policy changes and having to wear, you know, be vigilant of your environment and fear of, of getting this illness or the virus. So you're just, you're constantly on fight flight mode. So if you then re realize that the fight flight response is nutrient dependent to make adrenaline, to make cortisol, to support that incredibly essential uh, system we have to ensure our survival, then you kind of go, okay, well, are you eating foods that are going to support your fight flight response? And then you need more nutrients to support everything else because they get diverted to the fight flight response because it's going to always go to the fight flight response first because it's for short-term survival. Yeah. So then what gets compromised when you don't have enough, you're just at all of your nutrient resources are going to the fight flight response. There's nothing left to regulate your, your mood. There's nothing left to regulate your sleep. There's nothing left to regulate your attention. So it, to me, it seems like a pretty no-brainer when you understand the biochemistry to kind of say, you know what? We've got a population that's walking around completely nutrient depleted, and therefore they have no resources to cope with extra things that come along. No wonder we're stressed and tired and low energy and struggling with our mood and irritable, it certainly is a, at least playing a role. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, I talk a lot on my channel about how stress, um, how our body will focus on priority of survival and the cortisol response. Yeah. And then there goes your sex hormones and um, yeah. your or not your thyroid, but your sex hormones and um, any other kind of hormone production. Um, but I, one thing I find interesting is that a lot of our neurotransmitters are also produced in the gut. And so when we are eating mm. foods with a lot of toxins, you have to wonder, well, you know, how is our gut health? And if it's not good, then maybe we're not producing the neurotransmitters um, like serotonin and dopamine and so, um, so on. And that may also affect our mental health as well. Uh, well, it could. And some, there are some toxins that are starting to be identified as playing a role in our gut health. And the one that I'm probably more familiar with would be glyphosate, um, pesticides, herbicides. They clearly seem to be having, there's, there's research, it's very brand new, and it's still something that's been more like seriously investigated. But it does kind of make you pause and think and, about some of these things that we do put on our crops right. that are probably not great for our microbiome. And we know that they can affect the bacterial uh, composition of soil. And so there's also research that is highlighting the effects that it can have on your microbiome. New, new stuff. So we still have lots of questions, but it is something we should all kind of go, oh, I don't know if I should eat the foods that have got laid in with that. 
Right. But which it's are t- very hard. It's very hard to, to not eat them. They're everywhere. Right. I, I mean, it's all the GMO foods, especially. Um, yeah, there's that too that you have in the States. We don't have that as much here. But. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, I want to kind of st- take a step back and maybe just get some understanding of, you know, why did we think that maybe SSRIs are the answer for kind of depression? Um, I have clients that are on, um, you know, antidepressants and sure. they've tried to wean themselves off it and they eat the, mm-hmm. more of the nutrient dense diet. And they work with their doctor to reduce it, but then they notice that some of it comes back. So like, there's like these pros and cons. So some of the negatives is start getting restless leg syndrome at night, uh, lots of that kind of um, cramping. But then the other hand is then they may not feel super depressed on it, but they won't feel much of anything in a sense. Like they're a lot more apathetic, but then without it, they'll kind of sometimes dip too. And so there's this like struggle, um, But just what are your thoughts of like, why did we start using SSRIs and why does it work for some and not so much for others? Yeah, I think that's a good question. And I don't know if I have the full answer for why. And I don't think anybody has the full answer for why that happens of why some people respond and others don't. And they do try to figure out what are the predictors of poor responders versus uh, of people who are going to respond. And it's hard to uncover. There certainly isn't that one sort of magic. Ah, it's these people who, who are we know are going to do well on it. I mean, they. I mean, the bottom line, first of all, is that no one is tested for their serotonin before getting put on an antidepressant, and that in itself should be somewhat sobering, given the the, the you're sold on it uh, correcting some serotonin deficiency that's never proven at an individual level and has never even been proven at a group level. But what we do know the SSRIs do is that they definitely have an effect on neurotransmission. That's very clearly shown um, that they are affecting your serotonin system. So they, that's probably what we're observing is the effect that mucking around with your serotonin seems to have an effect on your mood. And it's that interesting thing is that flattening that a lot of people describe or that they don't feel down, but they don't necessarily feel up. So it's like, I mean, I, it's now likened, I mean, there's people like Joanne Moncrief in this, in the UK who talk about it as being a, you know, that it's, it's similar to any other drug that we take, whether it's that alcohol or it's heroin, or any other type of drug that they affect your your brain function, your brain then becomes dependent on it because it it gets used to it and it adapts to the presence of this drug, which is why even when you miss one dose of your SSRI, you feel it. You start you your brain doesn't feel right, and it's only sorted out by adding and putting back in that that medication. So. It's had, you know, it's certainly, you don't want to throw it out entirely because there are people who I've heard of who have benefited, but it's just sadly not enough are doing well on it. And it just comes with a side effect profile and the real challenge of withdrawing. And I, my heart absolutely goes out to all of those people who have been on these medications for years and years and years and really want to come off of them. And what we haven't what medicine hasn't focused on, and they could, you know, they could do this and it's starting to come is, yeah, we're very, it's, you know, we're very good at putting people on these drugs, but we don't have a lot of good methods to take them off of them. And so patients have to end up figuring it out often for themselves. There are now tapering strips that I think make it a lot, may help people like you describe come off of those medications. And so those may prove to be more and more useful and and there's more interest in trying to figure this one out, how to get people off. But what I do know is you've got to do it slowly. And that last dose, surprisingly, is one of the hardest for people to come off of. Really surprising given what a small amount of the drug might be left to come off of. So taking that, you know, small amount off at the beginning doesn't that seems fine but at the end that seems to be one of the hardest things so i think having that knowledge that it is going to be hard that you've got to do it slowly and that people have achieved it and have gotten there 
and that using nutrients and eating well can help with that process hopefully gives people a bit more, um, you know, just courage to keep going when it's really hard. But to know that that being that hard stuff isn't necessarily the reemergence of any underlying problem, that it's withdrawal. And that's something that not a lot of people talk about. And, and we talk about it in the book because it's knowledge. It's out there. It's in the public domain. If you can look, it's written about in journals. We're just the messengers. Yeah. And I've actually seen it in several clients as well, where they're dosing down and it seems fine. And then as they get to the smaller doses, it yeah. gets harder and harder and it almost feels like they're regressing, but it may just be withdrawal. And there's several websites and I'll um, link to some of them in the show notes. Um, from your experience, so then have you seen patients where they were on medication and then they, you know, do the food for kind of healing and then they get off and then they're not as, you know, they don't go through bouts of depression anymore and they just seem that. Sure. I mean, we're, my studies in New Zealand are on people who are medication free and partly because of this challenge is that it's very hard to do controlled trials when you have people who, um, what we do know is that when you, you start to clean up your diet and, or, add extra nutrients in like what we've been studying that the the medication you get over medicated um it's like as you're you know the medication is for a brain that was not functioning well um as you nourish it you get a healthier brain so then you have less need for that medication and so you end up in an over medicated situation unfortunately a lot of prescribers don't don't think about it that way. Um, and so they don't necessarily reduce the dose as is necessary as you're describing. So that's, um, you know, that's just requires just more education. And it's, I can understand where they're coming from if they come from a medical model and have been taught like I had been taught that nutrition was irrelevant. They're not going to think nutrition has any impact on dose of, of, of drugs, right? So absolutely, yes, there are people who have been able to transit from medication. Either, I mean, I'm more familiar with those who use the supplements in addition to help with that transition, and it can be done. But it isn't an easy journey, and I'm, I always warn people of that, that it does make it a little bit harder when you've got this medication. And it's, hor- you know, it's just, it is what it is. It's, we've, you know, science evolves and changes and we start to see the downside of some things over time. Um, and they, you know, that's that we weren't aware of in the 80s and the 90s when people were first being put on these drugs. So hopefully, though, it, you know, the bigger picture is that more and more people will start to think about their food environment first right. before going on the medication. And that's a world I look forward to being a part of where we are not reaching for the prescription of a drug as the first line of treatment. Yeah, that sounds wonderful. Um, Is there any specific, I I know we talk about real whole foods, but is there a specific nutrients that you see kind of help people specifically with mental health or is it just kind of eating real food? one thing that we try to dispel in the book is the single nutrient fallacy um, that there's this one nutrient that you, if you just took that one, you'd feel great like magnesium, zinc, or vitamin D. And we often hear about these magic bullets in the media, you know, that are the cure all for everything. And what, when we look though at the research that's been done on those single nutrients, Uh, to see whether or not they can have a positive effect on mental health. Overall, those studies are pretty modest or they find nothing. So the effect is generally quite small with a few exceptions. There are some interesting exceptions over in our history. Pellagra, which caused psychosis, was was caused, and and dermatitis and and dementia, was caused by a niacin deficiency because people were only eating corn. And that was completely 
cured by adding in more niacin. So that's an example of where just one nutrient had a really positive effect on some people, but it was diet related. They probably could have just changed their diet and that would have changed it too. But we let that, that was one reason that uh, we started fortifying with niacin. So, um, so we've got these ideas that we're going to just find that single nutrient, but with a complex diseases, that's unlikely. Right. And so the premise that we go by is just saying, well, what does the, what does the biology say? And the biology says, as I was saying earlier, it says we need the full array of nutrients, not just one nutrient. The, chemi- the, the um, chemical pathways to make serotonin require multitude of minerals and vitamins, no special mineral and vitamin. So that's why our research is on the broad spectrum of the about 30 essential minerals and vitamins that we need to consume every day for optimal health. So there's no specific one. There's no specific food. You need to make sure you just eat foods that are rich in these nutrients. Um, And if that, as I said, if that doesn't work or that doesn't seem to bring you to the best of health, there's a lot of reasons why that might happen. Our soils are depleted of minerals, unfortunately. So our plants and our crops aren't going to be as as rich in those nutrients as they used to be. Uh, we, you know, as I was saying earlier, glyphosate has a detrimental effect as well on can have an effect on the mineral content of the soil because it chelates to the minerals and then it rains and then it washes away the minerals or, and, or it can have this effects on plants specifically. There's research that shows that it can uh, reduce the, the mineral content of plants. So there's a whole host of agricultural things that have been going on. We select foods that grow quickly, that don't bruise, that store well. Um, and we're not, we're not selecting foods that are nutrient dense. So there's all of those. And then there's individual differences. We're all, unique you know i mean you certainly i'm sure that's something you talk a lot about on on your podcast right um we're all you know we have genetic differences and some of those mean that we have a greater need for certain nutrients than other people and so if you combine that with the depletions it might be that some people need to supplement uh in order to get to a good place of health and we those are the kinds of people that we work with in our clinical trials and i can absolutely absolutely assure you that some of them only got there, not by changing just their diet, but by the additional nutrients. See, I, I walk this kind of fine line with supplements and food yep. because most people are like, well, food is medicine and food should fix everything. But then I consider the soil. So even uh, cows eating the grass that have less, you know, minerals in their soils, it's just this kind of, you know, cycle where there's just less minerals in everything, including plants, meats, whatever it is. But then people are like, well, supplements are not, you know, real or they're, they're man-made. And so, and then it's, but I see healing, like, especially with the gut, some of the gut healing supports I use um, it, I see the healing in it. And so then it's like, it's this fine line of some people may need the supplements to kind of get better. And then some people just may not. Do you see people that kind of just can eat foods without any supplementation if they struggled with mental health thrive without any supplementation. Right. Um, not specifically in our research, but then we're not looking for that. Okay. But what I can say is that having been doing this research for close to 15 years, and I did a TEDx talk in 2014 that's done really well. It's, I think it's at about 1.8 million wow. viewers. That means that I've got, there are a lot of comments on there and I've received a lot of communication, thousands and thousands of emails over the years and phone calls and and social media, goodness, they track you down in all kinds of different ways. <laughs> so um, I've heard of stories. I certainly have heard of people who have done only a change in their diet, complete turnaround. And it might be that they go Mediterranean. It might be that they go, they also eliminate other things, or they might go from one of the more specialized diets. Right. might be that they go, you know, vegan or keto or carnivore or, or you know, uh, gluten-free, dairy-free, you name it. There's lots of ways you can eliminate foods from your diet. 
but the consistency, the consistent thing that's happening is that they're not e eating marshmallows. <laughs> they're, they're eating real foods, but they're, for, some, for some people, they're quite selective about what real foods they choose. So I've heard of stories across the board of people doing well on all kinds of different of those sort of more specialized diets. But for me, it's that the research says very clearly about the Mediterranean style or traditional style diets. So we always say you should do that first. Clean up your diet, eating more real foods. If that doesn't work, then you could try more specialized diets. For some people, yes, they do better on plants. Yes, they do better on more meat, um, more fish. There's some things that you can't get out of plants that are only contained within uh, meat or fish, like essential fatty acids, the DHA and EPA is very hard to get out of a plant-based diet. Some people are probably do fine with the, the small amount they get out of the diet, but some people lack the enzymes that can convert ALA to EPA or DHA, so they may not get it. So for some people, it might be that they can, they, that they're, they go vegan or plant-based and they still feel unwell. And in those cases, I think it might be that they do need to get some of the nutrients that are not as easily available from those types of foods. So it might be that they need to do one of these specialized diets and that might solve it. And then for some people, it seems that the additional nutrients were necessary. So I guess an answer to your question is that the, yes, there's a lot of people out there who, um, who can do well just by changing their diet. And that's absolutely the message in our book is food first. Right. But for these other reasons, as I mentioned, the, the soil, the um, individual differences, gut health, increased uh, load from toxins or increased load from stressors, life stages, pregnancy, adolescence, getting older, they all influence our, our nutritional needs. From your research, have you seen if there are certain toxins in our processed foods or if it's, you know, like some people say it's a lot of excess sugar damages our mitochondria or there's like glycation. Some people say it's just all the toxins kind of combined, like the glyphosates, the dyes. Um, it's a, you know, a hodgepodge mm. of everything. It, from your research, have you seen if it's anything specific? Um. Not per se, and it's difficult to really tease that one apart of which is it, uh, because even if you look at some of the old studies that looked at removing some very specific dyes in foods for the treatment of ADHD, what also happened was that they changed their diets, and so it's hard to know whether or not it was the removal of some of those uh, ingredients in the foods or was it because other things were added in in order to you know as substitutes so it's really really difficult to tease that apart but overall what I always say is that there hasn't been a single study that has shown that this these foods have been good for us show me a study that's shown that this has been good for us that it improves your mood and makes you feel great and great energy throughout the day and and you lose weight and you don't get diabetes or your cognitive function is improved hasn't done anything good for us so it's kind of a remarkable not only social experiment but also a continued social experiment of people continuing to think that it's okay to eat this way and that governments support us eating this way and do every, you know, there's a lot of power um, involved in continuing to get us to eat this way, unfortunately. So we all have to kind of wake up individually, unfortunately, because the government's not going to do it for us. I agree completely. Um, I mean, one thing that's so unfortunate in the U.S. is they subsidize a lot of the corn, which then makes all the high fructose corn syrup and yeah, all the corn yeah. syrup and all our foods. And it's just... And then in a lot of other stuff in your book, do you talk about like absolute no's in certain types of food then? So maybe no box foods, no packaged foods, no certain ingredients. Is, is there kind of like a rule or? No, because we don't want to make it that. I think that sometimes complicates it and confuses it sure. in a way. Um, 
Although I suppose you could say we say, you know, reduce, reduce your consumption of ultra processed food. <laughs> so that's there. And the, there's no, there's nothing that we say specifically is that these foods that are ultra processed that people should at some point, at some level intuitively know what they are um, by just looking at the packages that there are things that have got ingredients in there that our grandmothers wouldn't recognize as food. So those are the foods we need to reduce. We do talk about processed food and processing and that that's not necessarily a bad thing. And so we try to distinguish between ultra processed and processed foods. Mm-hmm. So processing is, is any t- change to the natural state of the food. Right. So that could be cooking it or it could be uh, freezing or canning. I mean, some canning is good and some canning, they just add a whole bunch of so uh, you know uh, sugar to it. So those things would be ones you'd need to look at the can. But if it's just a can of tomatoes that essentially have been canned, then they can be just as nourishing as a, as tomatoes off the, the, the vine. Right. Um, freezing is fine, you know, can, can absolutely preserve the nutrients when they're frozen. Um, pasteurization, that's a form of processing. So there's, there's, we, do, we want people to understand that actually processing doesn't have to be a bad thing. It's enabled humans to get to the point where we, where we are now to, you know, and it certainly led, you know, the, the, the discovery of fire led to some massive changes in our brain development. So mm-hmm. we, um, we, we don't want to discourage eating those types of, you know, the use, using those methods to modify right. our food. I was diagnosed with postpartum depression and mm-hmm. then I was on antidepressants for mm-hmm. a while. So some of the SSRIs yeah. and at a certain point, they put me on antipsychotics for yep. just a little bit. Yeah. And then they wanted me to try some of those other kind of add on uh, medications mm-hmm. for like bipolar, schizophrenic. Yep. Yeah. I'm sorry uh, to hear that. And they never talked about that some of these, you know, like you were mentioning that if you take something and may deplete, right? So if you're focused on cortisol, you may deplete yourself of other nutrients. So when they talk about these medications, not once did my psychiatrist ever say, well, now you'll be depleted of some of your B vitamins. And so yeah. therefore, right. And I know, they, I, but I remember- that's because they don't know it. <laughs> they don't know it. So they've chosen not to look there. It's, and it just seems so logical, right? So if it goes in your body, something else is going to get depleted. Um, And I remember asking my psychiatrist and he said, no, there's no nutritional differences, whatever you eat. And I was like, okay, Um, it didn't make sense to me, but yeah. And I just, um, so I just kind of went along with it at that point until I just kept needing a higher dose and I knew something wasn't working. And it's just interesting that um, most, I guess, psychiatrists don't know that. So if someone were depressed or feeling down, what would you say? I'm guessing your first thing to say is to clean up the diet. Um, Mm. Where are your thoughts about kind of stress management, um, sleep, lifestyle, Mm. you know? Yeah. Oh, goodness. It's part and parcel of a holistic approach to uh, addressing our mental health. Absolutely. And, you know, I guess because of the focus on food, tend to look like that secondary, but not at all. Oh my gosh, it's so important. Making sure you get your adequate sleep every night is my number one priority. I will not compromise. This also often becomes a problem with podcasts because I live in New Zealand and I'm asked to do them at six o'clock in the morning or five. And I'm like, I don't compromise my sleep. You're going to have to do it later. We need to find a different time. And, um, and that's, I, I, you know, that's, that's one thing that that's, those are some pretty clear rules that I make. Um, and uh, to make sure that that doesn't happen, that I don't compromise sleep, meditation, yoga, I've just, just before we got on, I did an hour of yoga this morning. So that's, I always find that really, you know, if I start my day that way, it's a good way to start the day. So exercise, can't get a lot of exercise where I am right now, your, your listeners, uh, for your listeners to know that I've been, I'm in two weeks of managed isolation in New Zealand. It doesn't exist in the United States, but it's basically where you put in a hotel and you stay in one room for 23 hours and they let you out for one hour of exercise in a pen. <laughs> so tiny little kind of like a um, parking lot. And this is the way New Zealand has managed to keep COVID out of the community. 
but it's a sacrifice. It's a huge sacrifice for people to be isolated in this way when you go overseas. And for me, it was bereavement and, you know, you kind of just do what it is. So, uh, but getting exercise is important. Um, Sunlight, you know, walking on the, you know, the grounding, um, bare feet on the sand use really, you know, these are all wonderful, uh, you know, things that we can all do for some people cleaning up the diet when they're really down is just too hard. And so that's when we might say, try the supplements first. And then once you get to a better place, then you might start to change your diet. And we've seen that many, many, many times in our research of people kind of going, oh, wow, these micronutrients are quite powerful. Maybe I should be thinking about what I put in my mouth. So the, that kind of aha moment often happens. But some people are just, it's, it's too hard. And I'm completely sympathetic to what happens when people are really low. It is hard to even just get out of bed. So for me to kind of go, okay, well, you're going to start cooking now. Um, it's, that's not a simple thing for people to do. But even small steps, really small steps. You know, choose one, maybe one meal a week to change that or maybe a goal of reducing intake of energy drinks or, you know, sort of that sort of some shifts, some very slow shifts in that direction, in the right direction. Uh, Maybe learning to cook one meal a week or getting together with other people. I mean, social engagement is just obviously a really important part of recovery as well. So yes, those things are all important. Yeah. I feel that, social connection. Uh, We are naturally community-oriented species, and um, even this isolation has been really hard for many, and I wonder if that that plus the excess cortisol that then will make you nutrient depleted, and then I'm sure people reaching for the sugars because of the stress, like all of that combined just caused a lot more mental health during the pandemic. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. So, um, where where can people find your book and you know learn more about your work? Sure. Well, I have it right here, so you can at least know what it looks like. Except I've got this blur. Yeah, if you there come a little go. bit closer, okay, I can see it. Yeah, and I'll I'll put. Um... <laughs> oh, it's except it's reversed. I don't know why that oh, it does looks, it. Um, it looks fine on my end. Oh, it does. Okay, so <laughs> it's from my from my perspective, it looks backwards. Okay, so better brain um, is where I would start uh, to know more about what we've done. Co-authored with Bonnie Kaplan. It's uh, currently available on Amazon. I guess I, I hate having to say that, but that's the easiest way is just look there or through um, your independent bookstores. Uh, they hopefully have them as well. Um, and, uh, and yeah, that's where I would start. Another thing, if people are really interested in get in, in their, maybe even at the professional level, health professionals who are wanting to know more about this interface between mental health and food, then I've developed an online course. Go onto an edX platform. They do all these online courses, and and just and just search for mental health and nutrition, or or put my name in. And it's a six week course. It's free, and wow. it's video. So if people prefer to learn via video rather than reading a book, and and you can get a verified certificate if you want to, and so you pay 150 US for that, and. I've got, we've gotten tons of great feedback. 16,000 people have done it since we started it in March, which is a, I'm pretty excited about how many people we've been able to engage in it. It's for the the public can do it too. Um, But a lot of, I know a lot, I get contacted a lot by people, mental health professionals, nutritionists, dietitians, psychologists all over the world saying, where do I get, where, how can I learn more about this? And at the moment there's, there isn't a lot out there around a specific degree that can train you in this area. I didn't get it. This is all, everything I know and everything I've shared with you, everything in the book is stuff I've learned mm-hmm. after my PhD. So it's been on the ground. It's been, a, you know, reading a lot, attending conferences from different sides. You know, uh, you know I've been to conferences, interestingly, pharmacologists or dietitians or, um, or, um, psychi- you know, psychiatry conferences. Uh, there's now a so- society of nutritional psychiatry. So that's been oh, okay. a great initiative. So there's, 
but it, there's no kind of, it hasn't happened yet that there's this place where you can get this le level of education. And so that's why one of the reasons why I developed that course, that online course, it's a good start. It's a great, hopefully a good starting point for lots of people trying to just better understand this whole area. Okay. So and I hope I that helps. And I will, yeah, I will um, put that in the show notes and I'm sure a lot of people will um, look into it. I've actually been reached, um, I've been contacted by several therapists and psychiatrists that mm. actually try to now use um, nutrition for a lot of their mental health patients. So I yes. definitely know that there's um, people that want to. They're hungry. They're yeah. hungry for it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Totally. That's yes. the best way to say it. Exactly. So I've done, I do so many workshops now and um I've been doing that for quite a few years, of, but but that's why I could I just can't reach enough people. That's why this this online course has been so exciting because I can now say just go and do that right. first. Um, it's it's no different from doing a workshop with me, and I just have only so many hours in the day. I totally get it. Well, thank you so much for your time. I hope that people you know learn more about this because this is mass online open access course. Okay. <laughs> that's what it was, mass online. Okay, Sorry, I'll make sure to get the you. links. Um, I'll, I'll try to find it. And if I have issues, I'll contact you. Okay. But thank you sure. so much again. This has been wonderful. And Good. It just really speaks to that food can be medicine. And we just need to fuel mm -hmm. our bodies the right way. And um, this is a very powerful message. So thank you. You're welcome. Okay, guys, I hope. All right, guys, I hope that this interview was very helpful. Um, I hope you guys look into the book. There are tips that will support you in healing and also maybe using food as therapy for mental health imbalances. Now, Dr. Rutledge does focus on a Mediterranean diet, but she also understands that some people have sensitivities and food allergies to maybe certain plant foods. And so she understands that you have to do what makes sense for you. But overall, the key thing is to use nutrient-dense foods and real foods to possibly support any mental health imbalances. All right, guys, you know the drill. Make sure to eat a lot of meat. Take care of your bodies because it is the only place you have to live. I will talk to you guys next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Nutrition with Judy podcast. If you liked what you heard today, please make sure to leave a five-star review on your favorite podcast app so more listeners like you can find the show. If you want more practitioner care and support, head over to nutritionwithjudy.com groups so you can get more real talk about carnivore, the environment, and root cause healing. You can also find my content on Nutrition with Judy's YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Make sure to sign up for my weekly newsletter and learn more about in-depth articles with infographics at nutritionwithjudy.com slash articles. You can find my two books, Carnivore Cure and The Complete Carnivore Diet for Beginners on carnivorecure.com and amazon.com. At the heart of Nutrition with Judy's practice, our mission lies with a deep, unwavering passion for service and community. We will continue to empower you to have the knowledge and tools to live a life nearly symptom-free because we firmly believe in healing and wellness for all.